0: If out there,
1: play twice and keep listening. Play twice and keep listening. Hi, Teamsters.
0: I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick
1: two topics and find intersections.
0: Or not And welcome to our monthly cult episode.
1: So let's say this is the episode of The Knot. We don't care about intersection. We sure don't. This is an episode
0: once a month where I cover a cult and Carrie Ann covers a cult classic piece of media. Yep. And really, we just kind of dive right into it. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Let's skip the pleasantries. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was really inspired by our episode uh, that released last week that you did for Dystopian Societies, Doomsday. So...
1: To this day, it's one of my favorite episodes that we've done. It's super fun. It's it was super fun. such a great episode. And
0: thank you for those who pointed out that there was a little bit of an issue at the end of the podcast,
1: which has been resolved. So we appreciate those who let us know. If you missed the Intersections portion last week, uh, go back and check it out because it's now fixed on all streaming services. And it's amazing. Of course it is. It's us. <laughs> it,
0: it, obviously. obviously. Okay, so... I hope that you are ready. Our cult this week is the Lord Righteous Church, or better known as Strong City.
1: Ooh, not to be confused
0: with Broad City. Right, exactly. No, way less cool. Way <laughs> le- sometimes equally entertaining, depending on you know. Nobody dies, so that's good. Well,
1: in Broad City or in this?
0: I don't think anybody dies in Broad City either. Oh, good. It is problematic. Let me me back up. Let's go back. Are we talking about broad
1: city or strong city? (laughs) I'm so confused. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Let's not go back. Let's go forward. Let's just not clarify anything for the rest of the episode and let everyone else figure it out. There we go. So uh, imagine a world
0: in which the end of all humanity is near.
1: Okay, so every dystopian novel.
0: Exactly. Imagine that you will die alongside your entire family, your entire religious group, and even non-believers. Is this thought comforting? If so, you may be a member of Strong City, <laughs> a.k.a. Lord Our Righteous Church, from Union County, New Mexico.
1: Ooh. Mmm. Midwest,
0: little Midwest twist. Okay. I hear New Mexico is like super gorge.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I've heard great things about New Mexico. I like their state flag. I don't even know what it looks like. What it's it beautiful. Like? It's like teal and, and
0: yellow. Oh, yeah, I have yeah, seen that. Yeah, you've definitely seen
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. Shout so, out to your great state
0: flag. There we go. Um, so I watched a National Geographic documentary about this cult, and it was super interesting, and the documentary starts – Where there's two young girls in their late teens walking in a field. They're talking to each other. And we know that, like, National Geographic is problematic in and of itself. But this particular documentary was super interesting to me.
1: Wait, why is National Geographic problematic? I thought we liked them.
0: Well, I mean, the things that they choose to focus on sometimes are a little bit iffy. There's also been a few articles that have not been fact-checked properly. Which, listen, we're not experts either. (laughs) But they're supposed to be. (laughs) Okay, okay. One of the girls turns to the other and says, quote, I think I feel relief that it's the end. It's like that's what father is saying now, just a little bit longer, and then you can come home where you're meant to be. The other girl answers, quote, Yes, like we aren't made to be on this earth away from father. I leave this world behind. End quote. So, Strong City is a cult that preaches the end of day's prophecy. So, those same two girls are being interviewed by the National Geographic team, like I said. And one of the producers asks them, like, are you looking forward to that in response to their previous statement? Um, and the girl says, quote, yes, with all my heart. And that gave me goosebumps. Like, she and she, like, laughed when she said it, too. It was a little bit, little bit freaky. Hmm. Um, so when will the world end
1: is probably something that you're wanting to know, right? Well, the Mayans had their theory and were proved wrong. So right. what right. is your theory, Allison, or at least well, the, uh, <laughs> the cult's theory?
0: My theory, I, I don't know, but what these guys claim, so Wayne Bent, or as those within the organization call him Michael Traverser, or Messiah, According to him, the end of the world is October 31st,
1: 2007. So I'm going to say that he was proven wrong. <laughs> Spoiler
0: alert!
1: <like> <laughs> Either that or this is the aftertimes and we're right. all just stuck in purgatory, which oh, is my God. dad's current theory. I mean, it checks out, kind of. Should you know that the center of North Carolina, like if you Google it, the center is this little hiking trail called Purgatory?
0: No way. Facts. So, we're planning a trip, obviously. For sure. Meet up in purgatory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, According to Michael's own son, Michael heard a prophecy to go back and evaluate the formula in which the end of the world or the end of days is calculated. So, he took the beginning of the Protestant Reformation in 1517 and does a little bit of mathematics and comes to decide that October
1: 31st, 2007 is the date. I so, mean, <laughs> at least we're all going out having fun. It's Halloween. It's Halloween, right? Yeah. Um, so we're going to kind of back up to talk about who
0: Michael Treveser is um, and how did we get here. Okay. So he was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor and... He describes that he felt disgusted by humanity um, and their lusts and behaviors. Mm. Sounds. Mm. Like Uh, a sex sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) And he found a group of people with similar judgment. So he was like, let's get together. And judge all of humanity. (laughs) Um, So in 8... So in 1987, he left the Seventh day Adventist church and took some of his congregation with him. And for 13 years, he and his followers strive to live without sin. Hmm.
1: It sounds really boring.
0: It does. Like. It really does. But in 2000, um, he had a prophecy. So keep in mind, no one else was in the room when it happened. <laughs> Um, But God said, quote, you are Messiah. And at the same time that this was happening, two of his followers left their homes and left behind their material goods Mm -hmm. to find him. Um, There was no instruction, according to Michael, allegedly, uh, for them to do this. Um, And they came to be with him as basically witnesses. Of the prophecy. So the two witnesses were anointed by God to witness the Messiah. um, And he was also
1: commanded by God to consummate these relationships. Well, obviously, because sex is not sin if God commands it. Sure, which he actually uses as a manipulation tool. You don't say?
0: Yeah. So both of these um, uh, witnesses. Um, are female and they're both married. And so he uses that as like a, well, God wanted me to do this. um, So why are you angry with God?
1: Great question. To the spouses, right? Who could poke a hole in that logic? Sure.
0: Sure. So outside the sexual relationships with the Messiah, sexual relationships were forbidden. This is like cult.
1: 101, like <laughs> legit. I feel like every cult we've covered so far has been like cult 101 <laughs> in some different ways. <laughs> um, put them all together and you have cults Shh. as a whole, <laughs> right?
0: A series, the podcast <laughs> without an audience. <laughs> so, sex is considered selfish and worldly, which it can be, but I think that's like the appeal, yeah. Um, under this organization, all marriages and all families like no longer exist. So you're breaking down these relationships um, and all emotional ties once you join the organization are broken. Hashtag cult alert. (laughs) So they also do other like culty things within this organization. Um, They change people's names, like you start going by a whole different name. Um, And each of the members of Strong City take a biblical name. Which is um, significant to them, obviously. Members no longer work outside the organization. um, And all inheritances, social security checks, and all possessions go to Michael and the organization directly. So this sounds like super one-sided. Yeah. Right? But what do you get in return for your fucking inheritance? Everlasting life. Everlasting love. Um... Well, Michael feeds you and he pays for a roof over your head. So bare minimum, the bare m- minimum, that is correct. One of the previous members of the cult has since left the church and started a website to publish some of what Michael wrote. So he was doing basically like these newsletters, um, like thoughts of the day kind of thing. And again, it's a way, you know, for manipulation, but... Um, He starts talking about being vulnerable and being naked with God. So that's something that he starts to kind of plant those seeds. Um, So what do you think happens? So is it possible that some people take that and run with it and believe that it's their own idea? Possibly. Sure. Sure. A follower reports hearing or seeing the Messiah's comments on being naked with God and feeling a calling. She approaches Michael and says that she'd like to be naked with him. And he says, like, they're naked on a bed. uh, And he says, may I hold you? And she says that she's never felt closer to God. Or to a
1: penis, probably. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean it Um, may have been a while. Well, he's outlawed
0: probably. Well, yeah, with anyone other than himself. Also, yes. Also, she's a
1: minor. So, yikes! Gross. I take it all back. Yeah. Did you say that earlier and I missed it? Okay.
0: I had forgotten, and now I re remember because I'm
1: reading my notes. (laughs) Oh, in that case, I take it all back. Yeah, yeah. Rewind. Gross. Relax. Okay, Um,
0: so after this happens, uh, so other women start, because, you know, she's felt so so enlightened by this experience, supposedly, other women, you know, start to approach him asking if they can experience something similar. And now Michael is claiming that God needs seven virgins to come to him and mark the end of the world. So over the next few days, five
1: approach him. Two of which were underage. Do you know what year Hocus Pocus came out? Oh, I was thinking it was, like, early 90s. But I'm gonna they need it. a virgin to, like, light the black uh-huh. flame candle. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if that informed Michael in any way. If he needs, like, know. his seven virgins on Halloween and the Sanderson sisters need just one virgin on Halloween, that tells me the witches are a lot stronger.
0: Hold on. Oh, you're right, 93.
1: Oh, was I was ten surprised. years off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he laid naked next to these seven virgins. So, according to um, him, nothing sexual happened other than them laying naked together. Um, but one of the one of the girls who was underage, um, her parents had actually left the church and returned to basically come get her after they heard about this incident. So he claims that God had told him to do it and that because he was basically, like he says, quote, I am the embodiment of God. I am divinity and humanity combined. So he thinks he's this big, big guy, right? So he does claim, like I said, to not have had sex with the minors. However, he does say that sex with his own son's wife was unavoidable and God's plan. Nope. Hate it.
1: Absolutely not.
0: I know. It's so sad. So at this point, the clock is ticking. October 31st, 2007 at midnight. Deliverance is coming. All of this is kind of, you know, in the months leading up to it, right? So day after day, followers of his cult are experiencing anxiety. um, I would too. Which grows as, as the end of days approaches. Um, so at this point, members who have left fear that Michael and um, the organization and the cult are going to die by suicide. Mm-hmm. So that's the fear. Um, kind so of a Jim
1: Jones' situation,
0: mm-hmm, yeah. Which and a lot of people argue that, like, mo- more recently, that Jonestown was more of like a murder situation that more people died by force than suicide. Yeah, I've heard that too. And, but still, I mean, you know, there, there are multiple that have happened within, you know, a decade of. Right. This. So a lot of people who had left the church ha- are now coming back to collect their family members. Um, so a lot of them are minors and, you know, they come grab them and they don't really, you know, obviously have a say. Um, although some parents left their children within the
1: organization, um, a- and left on their own. So, imagine leaving your kid
0: in I know. this
1: organization. Even like just knowing whatever it is, you know, yeah. I can't. Yeah.
0: So Michael says, "Quote: If the Bible verses are exactly fulfilled, about what they say and what they say, it." The 31st at midnight would mark the change. There would be a body change. That's what Paul meant when he said,
1: there will be a change. And that could occur. Sounds like a direct quote from scripture. So who are we to doubt? Sure.
0: There's going to be a change. He's going to go through the change. He's going to go through menopause. Change Change is happening. Change is happening. (laughs) Otherwise unspecified. So, basically, he's insinuating that there's going to be some type of, like, physical transformation. Or a change. Or a change. If you will. Oh, I will. So, at this point, the days have approached. It's now moments before midnight on the 31st. Everything is still and quiet on the compound. And midnight strikes... And the members of Strong City begin to march down the street and down the road, screaming, Liberty! Liberty! Michael Traverser looks exactly the same. Um, and no one seems to be bothered by it at all. The same as? Before midnight.
1: Oh. The change. I'm with you. So it's not an outward change at this point. We're talking metaphorical change at this it's point what he meant obviously sure
0: at this point um there there is there is no change okay um and this next portion i have uh i'm quoting from wikipedia quote on december 15th 2008 jurors convicted wayne bent which is his real name remember mm-hmm. um of one count of criminal sexual content of a minor and two counts of const- contributing to the delinquency of a minor. He was acquitted of a second charge of criminal sexual content with a minor. So Bent was allowed to return to Strong City, the sex compound near Clayton spending pending sentencing on December 30th. Judge Gerald Bacca imposed the maximum sentence of 18 years, but suspended eight years. Cause that's just how it goes. (laughs) Um, But he will have to serve at least eight and a half years before becoming eligible for release. An Albuquerque news station reported that on September 11, 2009, Bent had been on hunger strike while in prison and a judge had ordered a force feeding to uh, be used should it become necessary. According to the church's website, Bent entered a religious fast that takes the form of a Jubilee fast And it also claimed that his fast is a protest against the imprisonment, quote, because of a lie. On June 28th, 2011, the New Mexico Court of Appeals overturned all convictions against Wayne Bent. The court determined that the grand jury was not legally assembled. Yikes. Yikes. In a unanimous three-judge decision, Judge Robert T. Kennedy shared the opinions of the court. Quote, as a result, the indictment issued by the grand jury was void, and the district court did not have a jurisdiction to proceed with the trial in this case. On October 22nd, 2012, the New Mexico Supreme Court overturned the New Mexico Court of Appeals ruling and Wayne Bent would continue to serve out the remainder of his sentence in prison for the next four years. Wayne Bent was paroled from prison in February 2016 after being diagnosed with cancer that threatened the hearing in his left ear. He had since published a book about his legal case on his website. The title of the publication is, quote, The Little Book. Um, and it's taken from a reference found in the Bible on the book of Revelations, chapter 10. So they think that he is now living on his compound in New Mexico and he is out and still alive today. He still has followers. Really? Yes. Even. Okay. Okay. And it's unclear whether he set a new date for the end of times, but time is definitely not on his side at this point, um, with his diagnosis. So, um, well, that's the case of strong city.
1: Well, be on the lookout for that date Uh to be determined at this point. You heard it here first. Um, also there's something like, I enjoy listening to true crime podcasts, Because they talk about things that are in the past. And it's always very concerning to hear true crime and cult stuff that's still going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's important to know because I think so often we create this distance between like where we are in our current experiences and cults. Mm -hmm. Which are obviously a thing of like the 80s and 90s. And to know that this one's still going on, all you out there in New Mexico, be careful be beware question everything question everything yeah it is
0: very um disturbing thinking that people can just like wake up and claim to be the messiah yeah like
1: what i mean if we felt so inclined we could wake up tomorrow and be like yo (laughs) (laughs) what's up the messiah is now twins who have a podcast (laughs) are we twins spiritually maybe
0: born three months apart
1: yeah close right. close enough
0: like on a quarter basis
1: <laughs> kind of situation
0: um so it was it was definitely interesting and i found like i've chosen my next couple cults and they're all kind of like modern really yeah like this shit is still happening and and it's in the it's in our court systems yeah it's in the news yeah i mean it's it's not necessarily in our faces every day but it is certainly among us. Oh, Whoa.
1: I'm well aware it's among us. I just don't hear about it very often. Yeah. Um, well that's what I'm here for. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. You, you a great rub job. it
0: in your face. Thank you. But I am super stoked to be talking about our cult classic today. So let's take a quick break and when we come back, we're talking about Fight Club. Fight Club. We don't talk about Fight Club. we number one. I've already got it. Okay.
1: (laughs) And we're back. So, girl, choosing this movie was brilliant on our part. Because it's a cult? There's no work involved. (laughs) The first rule of Fight Club is that you don't talk about Fight Club. So we're done. Wrap it up. That's right. Thank Thank you so much for listening. This has been Podcast Without an Audience. (laughs) Um, Blink twice and keep listening. Is that how we end this thing? It is. Okay. Well, um, the first two rules of Fight Club, I guess, are don't talk about Fight Club. The Mm -hmm. third one is, what, fuck the rules? It sounds right. Mm -hmm.
0: The rules like to get fucked. Yeah. That's a Rocky callback.
1: You're welcome. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. If you could just work more Rocky callbacks into this. Oh, don't worry. I'm waiting. I mean, we've got Hamlet, who makes a pretty regular, or Hamilton, who makes a pretty regular appearance in the pod, Uh and uh, Hippocrates, our guy. So if we could do Rocky callbacks, I think we'd have a good trifecta. Perfect. Done. Perfect.
0: I mean, Meatloaf is in this one, so,
1: yeah. So we're getting close. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so here's the plot summary from IMDb, the Internet Movie Database. Uh. <laughs> uh, quote, well, plot summary. Okay, quote An insomniac office worker and devil may care soap maker form an underground fight club that evolves into so much more. Uh huh. Can you think of a more simplified way to explain this yeah, movie? Right? Like, literally, I. How did they take There's all of so this Fight layers. Club and just shrink it into one sentence? Good job, IMDb. <laughs> so, Fight Club was made in 1999. The director is David Fincher, and it was based on the novel by Chuck... I cannot pronounce this last name. Jacob's going to hate me. Pahalnik.
0: I've read another one of his books, but...
1: So, but no chance you can help me with pronunciation for that last name? Can you spell it? P a l a h n i u k. Palanuk. Sure. So Chuck Palanuk um, published his novel in 1996. Three years later, David's like, "Yo, great book. Let's make it into a movie." Great job. Like your content. Real proud. I see where you're going. Let's build upon it. Um, some of the characters that you may or may not know or actors you may or may not know, we've got uh, Brad Pitt coming in as Tyler. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Looking like a snack. Is he, though? Yeah. Those washboard abs do something for you?
0: I don't know. I don't know why. He's just timeless. He is. I mean, certainly more than our main character.
1: Uh, You mean our narrator, Edward Norton? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Meatloaf makes a few appearances. Oh, you may know him that. as Bob Paulson.
0: Mm-hmm. His
1: Robert Paulson. Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. Thank you. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter mm-hmm. surprisingly makes an appearance, even though Johnny Depp nor um, Tim Burton, Tim Burton was anywhere in sight, yep. as Marla Singer. And even Jared Leto makes an appearance. So, very cool. Everybody's there. Everyone's present and accounted for. Um, You will also know by now, if you've listened to any one of our cult episodes previous to this one, that there are going to be spoilers. So, go watch the movie if you haven't already, and we will wait. Or pause us. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, we're back. (laughs) So, in this movie, the narrator, who is unnamed... um, Feels unfulfilled by his job he in life and everything. He suffers from insomnia and basically starts going to support groups. Mm-hmm. So thinking about the narrator as a construct, he has been described as a quote-unquote everyman. He's like tried to fit into the world. He did everything he was taught to do and supposed to do, and he still can't find happiness. He has no possibilities, like there's no prospective hope for him, and he can't figure out how to change anything about his life. Mm -hmm. So his brain creates Tyler. Mm -hmm. Major spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. He's seeing dead people. Yep. Or something. Um, And I don't know about you, but there are pieces of the narrator that I can actually relate to. Like this idea of being stuck in a cycle mm-hmm. of you wake up and you go to work and you make money so that you can come home, so that you can buy shit, so that you can, you know, have a house. The that IKEA you can't catalog enjoy. thing,
0: my bed, this bed that we're recording. Is this an IKEA? This is IKEA. This is the fucking bed that broke. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Um, there's a rock holding it together. Uh, yeah, I feel that on a, on a personal level. <laughs>
1: I have had um, lots of Ikea furniture over the years. Mm-hmm. Ikea is a great place to go and hang out until you really start <laughs> to think about it. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. What is life? Mm-hmm. Which I've is, been in here for seven days. And only had 52 meatballs. Right.
0: The meatball thing is, like, so interesting. Like, they're like, all right, Carl, like, can you come up with a, a menu for the restaurant? And, and and they're like,
1: yeah, Swedish meatballs. Swedish meatballs. Which is similar. Here's a fun link up for the movie. Um, Everything in the movie is about balls and penises, too. Like, they've got the testicular cancer support group. Uh Uh-huh. There are several comments about, like, cutting off someone's balls or hitting (laughs) people in the penis. So we're thinking, like, like, a general, like,
0: dick theme that we're experiencing throughout this narrative. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Gotcha. Yeah. Um... By being in this place of feeling like you have everything that you previously wanted in life and still wanting more or still feeling empty, mm-hmm. like, I've been there.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: know a lot of people who still are there. Um, and it's a hard hole to climb out of. Oh, yeah. So it's you're, a- like, looking for something to wake you up and, like, to make you feel anything. And his job is,
0: like, very dehumanizing and the fact that it like requires you to detach from yourself mm-hmm. um, because he works for an insurance company or, or a, a car company a car that works company, with yeah. recalls. Right. So if the formula, right, if the cost of the recall is going to be more than replacing the parts, right. Then they, then they don't do it
1: or do they do it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they either do or do they not either do it. or
0: do not depending on cost.
1: Yeah. It's unclear. But it takes all the humanity out of it. There's no humanity in his job, and his personal life. It's just him existing. Mm-hmm. So Norton, who, uh, is, his first name is Edward Norton, who played the narrator, said when he was first given the book and script, he read it in one night, and he mm-hmm. said the book was so sardonic and hilarious, in observing the vestitudes of Gen X and Gen Y's nervous anticipation of what the world was becoming and what we were expected to buy into. Mm-hmm. It's how he felt about it. So he found it to be funny in a way. like Because it's such a stark contrast and also accurate representation right. of the millennial and Gen X experience. Um... I do want to spend like just a moment talking about the support group fascination Mm -hmm. and meeting uh, Marla Singer, who's Helena bottom Carter. What was your take on him enjoying support groups as much as he did or getting anything out of these support groups?
0: It seemed to me like he was just enjoying feeling heard and feeling uh, connected, validated, yeah. By a stranger. I think he actually says, like, something about validation. Yeah. Um. But it seems to be, like, the reason he's going to these support groups is so that he can cry so he can sleep. hmm So, to him, I guess all those things are connected about, like, releasing that pent-up energy. Yeah. Uh, and that it has to go somewhere. Um, But... I mean, soup's problematic. Like, fucking don't do that. <laughs>
1: don't uh, support group. Hop. No, it's a fucking safe space. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. Nope. Um, but I understand his desire for human connection. And yes. I think that that's what it's rooted in. Is even when he's lying to people and like taking advantage of their safe spaces, he's connecting with them mm-hmm. and he finds that to be exhilarating. Mhm. Uh, Because it's something that he doesn't get to experience in his day-to-day. And I think that that's why it frustrates him so much when Helena Bonham Carter shows up. Because she's also figured out this hack. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, he's less special. And he feels like it's maybe taking away a little bit of the humanity that he's getting to experience.
0: Well, and we only see him around other people. When he's in the support
1: groups. Yeah.
0: Like, at least at the beginning. He's always alone. Like Even when he's at work, he's alone.
1: Yeah. So, that connection, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, So, I think we're getting to, like, kind of the root of what humans need in order to feel any kind of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll talk more about that in just a second. So, then we have Tyler Durden who he meets on an airplane um, who makes soap from stolen liposuction fat. Um, and basically, they click, they are, oh, what do they call them?
0: Fast friends.
1: Yeah, but it's a... Bromance. No. It's Best a, friends. <laughs> it's a phrasing that uh, the narrator uses. Oh, single-use. Single-use friend. Mm-hmm. Like, you meet, you're not expecting to actually have a connection with Single-serving. Single serving, that's what it is. You're right. Um, And then they end up hooking up and becoming roommates Mm -hmm. for a while. Not hooking up. Not hooking up, but, like, connecting. Mm -hmm. Becoming roommates. (laughs) Um, Although we wish. Moving on. What would you say? Although we wish. Potentially. Yeah. So, the big plot twist at the end of the movie is that Tyler and the narrator are the same person, that Mm -hmm. he's dissociated and created this alternate personality. Right. It's a phenomenal plot twist. Like, in cinematic history, this is going down as one of the best, um, because you really don't notice it, even though they drop hints through the entire movie.
0: Seeing it, like, knowing the end, like, even when they're walking down a sidewalk, Tyler is walking on the sidewalk and brad pitt's character is walking on the street yeah so it's like he's taken up the whole sidewalk because he's fucking alone
1: exactly he and there are multiple instances like when you listen to the dialogue that other people have around him he Mm -hmm. he says like the narrator will say we Mm -hmm. when he's talking about his and tyler's apartment
0: yeah and And
1: then helena bottom carter is like you Mm -hmm. and very point like points out this is just you like Mm -hmm. you're the one standing here yeah um so it's fascinating and just like seeing the way that tyler feeds the narrator lines at doctors and really really interesting but we had to go ahead and get that out of the way even though it's the major spoiler at the end because otherwise we can't talk about the juxtaposition between the narrator and tyler effectively So Tyler is who the narrator wants to be, but like the shittiest version of it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He's not empathetic. He doesn't help the narrator face anything or really change anything in his life. He just kind of comes in and fucks shit up. As one article explains, uh, Tyler can deal with the concepts of our lives in a really idealistic fashion, but doesn't have anything to do with the compromises of real life as a modern man knows it. I just need to read what I wrote and not try and improvise. (laughs) Which is, you're not really necessary to a lot of what's going on. It's built and just needs to be run now. So that's... The way that Tyler is trying to function in the world is destructive. Mm -hmm. And it is um, idealistic. Whereas the narrator has some grounding to reality of like, well, we can't do these things without following through these steps, which is why it's so troubling to the narrator when all of these pieces start to really be made known. Um, Tyler is the man that the narrator wishes he could be. He is sure of his place in the world. He's sure of his masculinity. Um, things seem to come easy to him. He's hyper aggressive, has um, exhibits some hypersexuality and rebels against authority. Like all of those things are attractive to the narrator, right? Because he's so he's so opposite. Exactly. Yeah, he's in a world where the narrator wasn't being held down by constraints of having to exist. He's everything. Tyler's everything that the narrator wishes he could be. Mm-hmm. Um. So one of the things that I think is so interesting about this is that the narrator then essentially has to kill Tyler, thereby killing a part of himself in order to exist in the world Mm -hmm. at the very end. Yeah. So he's like, what have I done? Yeah, they both can't exist in this world. You can't be this hyper-idealistic, masculine, uh, rebellious person and still exist in the world. Mm -hmm. So he's unlocking something about his humanity here. Uh, really interesting fun fact I'm gonna slide in here is that both uh, Edward Norton, who played the narrator, and Brad Pitt took Taekwondo classes to pract- or to get ready for this role, and they both learned how to make soap. And if that's not Aww. adorable, I don't know what is. I love that combo. Me too. Well, shrimp basket combo. <laughs> so, what is this movie really about? Um, there are two kind of major themes going throughout this movie. The first is fragile masculinity and gender politics. Yeah. So it's like pretty widely accepted that this is supposed to be a satire of fragile masculinity and the lengths that men will go to to reclaim it. Like in the beginning, he's showing up at a uh, support group for men who have testicular cancer and have mm-hmm. lost their balls, mm-hmm. and he's like trying to... He's empathizing with that, and later he's trying to reclaim it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots of misogyny in the ways that they talk about women and to women. Marla is basically treated as a sex object throughout Mm -hmm. the whole film. Yep. Even Um, when, like, she comes
0: down to the kitchen, he's like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Because he doesn't obviously remember having slept with her. And she's just kind of... I mean, Complacent
1: in the whole thing
0: a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. And then she later is like, well, I can't keep up with you. And it's obvious at that point, mm-hmm. by the fifth time you've watched it, that it's because he's having the psychotic break. Mm-hmm. back, And, and forth. he doesn't remember. Mm-mm. Um, But she sees it as, you know, this guy who is. Into me one minute. And, and then now he's right. Not. Very hot and cold. But mm-hmm. she still hangs around. Yeah tyler durden himself says we're a generation of men raised by women Mm -hmm. and he says this with like sheer contempt like he's blaming women for making men soft um and kind of going into this sense of we're a soft generation we need to be hardened up and the way that we become more masculine is by beating the shit out of each other
0: i thought of it more and and this is just from memory i don't have notes on it but i thought of it more as like as men we need to like step up and be present and like you know do what we want but don't
1: yeah i could see it yeah maybe not both maybe sure sure we're gonna say both Mm -hmm. it's the final answer um, so have you heard the term manosphere? No, but I can see where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> so the manosphere is a collection of websites, blogs, and online forums promoting masculinity. Oh, good. Yep. We love this. Oh, for sure. Uh, they strongly oppose feminism. Oh, great. Big fans of misogyny. Mm. Um, movements within the manosphere include the men's rights movement. <sighs> In cells, which is invol involuntary celibates and others it's basically a radical men's rights community no you have so many already you have <laughs> all the rights you have the right to exist in the world mm-hmm. the film has been, this film has been co-opted by this group of people as like an example of things to aspire to
0: oh shit yeah, so like the project mayhem portion of it, like the the government, you know, like protesting part, like yeah. creeping through the night or the
1: the beating the shit out of each other, a little bit of both. I a think shrimp basket combo, okay. yeah, shrimp basket combo. Um, they see this as a this is what we need to do in order to reclaim the things that people are taking away from us, like. Okay. Yeah. Are you with me? Equality is not a pie. (laughs) (laughs) The musical. (laughs) Uh, Second edition, or second part. Yeah. Part two. There are also a lot of toxic relationships that are part of this, um, the gender politics of this movie. So there are toxic relationships, as we've mentioned, with both Marla and the narrator and Tyler, But also, Tyler and the narrator, like between them, which is also the narrator and himself, um, experiencing pain and release in a very literal sense, but also in a metaphorical way. So, even Tyler says pain is a premature enlightenment. So, the idea is that if you experience pain, it's your route to enlightenment and your route to like higher being and experiencing um, which is toxic thinking
0: mm-hmm.
1: so we've got all of that in a fucked up little basket with a bow then we have project mayhem and the anti-materialist anti-corporate anti-consumerism starting their own cult yeah vibe
0: you know I hit, when we had picked this movie I forgot for gold
1: you forgot <laughs> I had
0: for gold <laughs> That it was a fucking cult.
1: Yeah, we could have literally done this for both parts. Yeah. And neither parts because we're actually not supposed to be talking about it. Sure. So we could have just said, hey, well, it's
0: not real.
1: This month is Fight Club mm-hmm. and then never posted the episode. Oh.
0: That would, would have been be, hilarious. I'd be disappointed. <laughs>
1: um, so did you notice that there's like a Starbucks cup in ev- almost every scene in this movie?
0: Uh, I mean, I know that he had it when he couldn't sleep, but I didn't notice it.
1: Yeah. So, apparently, the... Sponsored by Starbucks. Yeah, the director, like, works Starbucks cups into an absurd number of scenes. Huh. To, I guess, point out capitalism still being present, even in the background. Yeah, so while it's also like a,
0: getting a sponsorship from Starbucks.
1: For sure, yeah. <laughs> um, So... Durden says advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs. We hate so that we can buy shit. We don't need. We are the middle children of history raised by television to believe that someday we will be millionaires and movie stars and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And we're really very, very pissed off. I feel that.
0: Yeah. And, and, and 99 was like the latchkey generation. Yeah. Also, where parents were working and kids just came
1: home and had to raise themselves for hours after work. So, And you're watching advertisements on the TV while you're, you know, waiting for things to be... Like, they were feeding this entire generation, you need to have money so that you can buy these things. Because mm-hmm. um, that's what's going to make you happy.
0: Well, so. and also parents are working so hard to afford it. You know? Right. Hey, kids... Make sure you get a good job so that you can... Go to college. Life can be, quote, easier
1: and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, whatever. So Project Mayhem is initially kind of anarchy. hmm Or in theory, it's supposed to be anarchy. Tyler Durden decides that he wants to blow up credit card companies and undo the American dream and set everyone free from their debt. So he's over this whole capitalist...
0: Yeah. It is noted that nobody's in those buildings, though.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. However, the way that they then start to treat the people who are part of Project Mayhem is much more fascist than it is um, anarchist. Mm -hmm. Like, they tell everybody to start looking the same. You know, uh, didn't they have everybody shave their heads and call them maggots?
0: They called the maggots. There was still that guy, like, random guy with, like, the bleach blonde hair. Right. He still always had his blonde hair. But I'm pretty sure they, they, uh, Mr. Bob, Mr. Robert Paulson, I think his hair was shaved. Yeah. I think they shaved his head.
1: Well, what's so fascinating about this is they have moved from a world where they feel like they are every man. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing unique or special about them. They're not snowflakes. And then they go to Tyler and see Tyler as kind of this being that's able to free them from all of this Mm -hmm. and help them feel alive and feel something. Mm -hmm. And then immediately they're taken back into Mm -hmm. this system that makes them all similar and all alike. And he's like threatening to chop off their balls again. I really don't get it with balls in this movie. I know.
0: Balls is not your thing. No. But it's interesting because, like, what they're trying to do, what, what Tyler is trying to do is set them free from those expectations by, like, sending them on these, like, really weird fucking geocache journeys where yeah. they're supposed to be accomplishing, like, a goal every week. So it has the, um, like, it has the illusion of of making them feel liberated By doing all these tasks,
1: but still, they're still puppets. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we can continue to unpack that further. And honestly, there are so many layers. Like you said earlier, we could be unpacking this for the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. And then we need to go and watch it again and see what more there is to discover. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, they say that they want equality and revenge on the powers that be. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was doing a little bit of digging and trying to figure out what resonated about this movie and book with so many people, Mm -hmm. because it's a cult classic, which means, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a second, but it did really poorly at first when it was first released. Yeah.
0: Huh.
1: Um, And it wasn't until almost, I mean, when it came out on DVD, people started like buying the DVD and Mm -hmm. then became more invested. But at first it was a pretty big failure. Oh, wow. Um. But several articles I read, people said that it resonated for each person differently. Like, they noticed if they were watching it with their friends, different friends would pull out different things. One person says, the books we read in school, The Great Gatsby, Death of a Salesman, mm. so on, said that the American dream was broken. But it was Fight Club that showed me that the American dream was a lie in the first place. mm Which I thought was a really interesting take on this in terms of anti-capitalism and anti-consumerism. The
0: American... See, I get what they're saying, but the American dream is technically somebody coming from somewhere else over and starting from nothing. I I don't think that that was his case.
1: Well, I think the American dream was sold to people who came over initially, you're right. But I think we've interpreted it to mean a white picket fence and 2.3 kids and a dog in the front yard. Like, that's the American dream, and anyone can achieve that dream. Mm -hmm. But initially, you're right, it was sold as an idea for immigrants to come over and be able to achieve this thing. Now it's just being sold to people to give them something to aspire to. The American dream is being sold to us. We are told what we should want, and then we have to follow these rigid rules of how to get it. This movie was just a hyper-masculine way of expressing anger against that, Mm -hmm. which I agree with. Like, I think that the idea that our parents and their parents and most of our our friends' parents sold to our generation was that you graduate from high school, you go to college, you get a job, you make this amount of money, you're able to save up and buy a house... And you are able to do all of these things in order. And then you get married or you get married at some point in there, maybe have a kid or two. But how many people in our generation or who are our age have really achieved that? Um, And it's a lot smaller of a number than it is for our parents' generation who were able to achieve that more readily Mm -hmm. for a whole number of issues that we don't have time to go into today. Uh, the dream isn't worth the struggle. Our freedom, our souls, or the time that we have on this earth, be who, be who you are, whatever that looks like, is how one of these articles wrapped up. Mm. Which I also just thought... You, yeah, It's all so interesting to deconstruct the ways that we think about anti-capitalism um, and anti-consumerism mm-hmm. through this movie. Um... Which doesn't,
0: like, you don't even realize until the very end that that's even, like, a goal. Right. The movie is, like, 400 hours long. And so by the time (laughs) you've gotten through all of the, you know, support groups and all the sex and all the Brad Pitt, you know, shirtless scenes and all the fighting, there's, like, 30 minutes left of the movie. And then it's all of a sudden, like,
1: Project Mayhem. You fully understand what they're doing. Yeah. Like, And that's the brilliance of this movie, is it's not just this main character who's disassociated and detached from this other half of his personality. You, as the viewer, realize that you've become detached to the point where you haven't seen any of these themes until the last 30 minutes, and suddenly you're having this realization. But then when you go back, it's in there the whole time, like the Starbucks cups, Mm Or the, uh, selling rich women their own fat asses back to them mm-hmm. through the soap. Mm. Like, it's been there. You just don't realize it until they finally come out and tell you that that's what you've been watching.
0: So how do you think that Tyler...
1: Not Tyler. The narrator. What's his name? Um, they never give us a name. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. They really don't. They really don't. However, um, in the script, I think his name was Jack. Really? So some people call him Jack, but he was never given a name in the book or movie. Oh, shit. He uses all these fake names right. and aliases when he goes to the support groups.
0: I never realized he didn't even have a name.
1: He's literally every man. Like, they stripped his identity so fully that he could be anybody.
0: <gasps> I never made that connection. I don't even remember what I was going to fucking say.
1: I know. It blows your mind, right?
0: I was thinking, I'm every woman. It's all in
1: <laughs> She's all in me. It's all in me. She's all in me. I oh, don't know. I bet you should
0: Oh, what a weird movie. It's super long. We were watching it, like, I had started it one day, and I was like, I can't fucking finish this. Yeah. So then it started it the next day, and, like, Ray had, like, been in and out of the room when I was watching it the first day. And he was home when I was finishing it the second day, which was still, like, an hour and a half.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was working, I think he was, like, editing... Mm-hmm. And I was watching it, and he's like, I cannot get into this movie. And I was like, wait, have you never seen Fight Club? And he's like, no. And I was like, why didn't you fucking tell me? Because I would have started it over and been like, okay, here's what you're dealing with here. This is not a casual watch
1: movie. You can't walk in and out of the room and know what's going on.
0: No. And I tried to explain it, and I was like, I
1: just did a shitty job. (laughs) Well, we can now go to IMDb, and they will do an even shittier job. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. Dad just cut you off.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Okay. So, what we know, I have you read the book. I haven't no, read the book. I've read other of his books, but not Fight Club. Which is why we don't know how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> um, but learning that this uh, movie was based on a book, and of course, there are always details that the movie leaves out or that the movie puts in. Um, I was curious about the comparison. Oh. So, the author of the book thought that the movie was an improvement upon the book. Oh, wow. Yeah, he loves the movie. So, he actually wrote this book. Um, He had been beaten up. Oh, where was he? Um, Hang on one second. Uh, He was on a camping trip, and he heard, like, the neighbors who were also camping making a lot of noise. So apparently he like went over to say something to them and they ended up beating him up. Oh, wow. When he returned to work, no one asked him about his injuries, even though they were very obvious. Mm -hmm. So he concluded that people reacted this way because if they had asked him, then they would have had to connect with him on a personal level and they didn't want to do that. Sure. So it was like his quote fascination with societal blocking, which Mm -hmm. was the foundation for this novel. So, I mean, now I really want to go back and read the book, which I hear is fabulous. But in the end of the book, so one of the major differences is at the end of the book, the narrator meets God. Oh, So there's also like a spiritual theme that kind of runs through it that you don't pick up until your fifth time watching this movie because there's too much to unpack. But in the movie, Tyler says, um, we don't need him, him being God. We are God's unwanted children, so be it. So later, the narrator in the book um, says, "quote I've met I've met God across his long walnut desk, with his diplomas hanging on the wall behind him, and God asks me why. Why did I cause so much pain? Why didn't I realize that each of us is a sacred." unique snowflake of a special unique specialness Oh, why can't I see how we're all manifestations of love hmm. I look at God behind his desk taking notes on a pad but God's got this all wrong we're not special we're not crap or trash either we just are we just are and what happens just happens and God says no that's not right yeah well whatever you can't teach God anything huh um so the real lesson, regardless of all of this, isn't about how to be hyper a hypermasculine bro or a hero. It's that the world doesn't owe you shit. So stop listening to gods, fathers, advertising agencies, etc. Be yourself and you'll be free. Fuck the rules. We don't want to die without any scars. Huh. It's from an article. I wish I could say that I wrote that. Mm-hmm. But honestly, this whole movie is fascinating. Um, there are little Easter eggs throughout. Like, They talk about cigarette burns at one point. And if you're watching really closely, you'll see in some of the shots there are cigarette burns. As though Tyler himself is changing the reel of film. Um, mm-hmm. As though that that's the movie that you're watching and he's controlling it. Um, apparently, there are also phallic symbols that randomly appear, but they mm. happen so quickly that I missed literally all of them. So,
0: like, just like he's being the film projectionist.
1: Yeah, exactly. Huh. So, this but those deeper are deeper than I thought. Yeah, it just it. The more you research about this movie, and the more you watch this movie, the deeper it goes. Mm. Um. So I loved it. Also, last thing. Why is it a cult classic? I told you we'd come back to this, and usually I forget. But here we are. It flopped when it came out. Like hella flopped. Apparently, Rosie O'Donnell saw it the weekend it opened. She then went and did an interview and spoiled the ending. Oh, no! Rosie, no! And she urged everyone to avoid seeing it, saying that it was so traumatizing she hadn't slept in four days.
0: Oh, Well, bless Um, her heart. I mean, if Rosie O'Donnell is big enough to ruin your movie, like, you can tell what (laughs) year
1: it's coming out. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie a 79, and, of course, the audience score, which is always higher for cult films, is a 96, which is really, really high on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So um, it's definitely the New York Times dubbed it the defining cult movie of our time and i think it's for the gender politics it's for the mental health stuff which mm-hmm. we didn't even get into because we talked oh, so yeah. much mental health and that's a whole other episode mm-hmm. but also this anti-capitalism consumerism anarchist fascist like there's just so much religion god i can't but that's the condensed version of my thoughts on this movie <laughs> <laughs> it was um for your listening pleasure
0: yeah, it, I had watched it for the first time in a long time. And I did enjoy it. It was super long. You really got to commit to it. So you've once you're done listening to this episode and you're like queuing up for your, you know, weekend plans. Factor to watch, in half a day. Oh, for sure. Like, it's a good Sunday afternoon movie. Although you got to close your curtains because it is kind of dark. Yeah. You need the darkness in your, in your home. Um, but you got to fully commit to it. Yeah. And you gotta look for all the things that CA pointed out in her All the fun segment. little Easter eggs and Yeah. See, uh, I would have really have liked to have known those things before I watched it. So
1: Well, I do looking out. Yeah. I don't think that knowing I mean the plot twist at the end is phenomenal. And the first time I watched it I didn't know. This was I think my third time watching it. hmm Um and I did catch one cigarette burn. I don't remember what scene it was, but I did see like the little yellow circle type thing in the top in the right corner. Yeah. So, um they're there. It you're just so engrossed in the movie that it's almost impossible to catch I love
0: them. that they did that.
1: that I know, is, me too. That is
0: brilliant. Like and and like when I think about like if I were going to make a film, little things like that is, is exactly what I would want to incorporate. Because you want your viewers to think about it. And it gives you a a reason to watch the movie, not two, three, but four
1: times to figure out what you missed. Well, and that's the thing with this movie is every time I've watched it, I've picked up something that I missed the first time. Yeah, Like the first time you watch it, you're just so taken aback Mm -hmm. by it because it's violent and like gross Um, in terms. I don't do blood. So there was a lot of blood in this film.
0: The thing that was interesting was, like, during the fights, it's about, like, the the fight club is essentially about community. Yeah. So even though they're beating the shit out of each other, they're shaking hands right after. It doesn't seem to be, it's not about anger. No. It's just
1: about... um, It is about anger um, in a way that is acceptable for men to express anger. Because men aren't supposed to hold on to big emotions. They've, you know boys don't cry and like
0: I mean I think it's maybe more about control than anger but it's in a controlled environment
1: oh absolutely yeah Yeah.
0: I mean they're not there to like harm they're not coming in with like ill will towards anybody
1: no they're just getting all the anger that they have experienced out without attaching another person to. like they are fighting another person but there's a disconnect Yeah, about it.
0: But I also think, like, we associate anger with male feelings
1: as, like, a blanket. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's
0: other feelings in there.
1: Right. That are oh, happening. absolutely. You know what I mean? I just think men have been so socialized to not feel anything because um... Because. <laughs> just because that's mm-hmm. how our society has socialized men. Mm-hmm. And this movie pushes against that. Um in a really unhealthy way, but also a startling way that kind of wakes you up to some of this. Do you remember everybody, like, in your middle school, like, beating
0: the shit out of each other? I can't say it's I do. Yeah, it was like a thing. Everybody
1: was, like, trying to have their own fight club, it was stupid. I vaguely remember something about it in high school, mm-hmm. but I was so far removed from the types of people that would have been drawn to a fight club Mm -hmm. so that's good it didn't stand out to me that's good (laughs) i mean i'm sure they did it but everybody at some point yeah for sure it's just
0: like after i had watched charlie's angels for the first time at the you know fifth grade sleepover or whatever Uh we were like parkouring across the the room (laughs) trying to like kick ass and take names you know what movie we were watching at our <laughs> sixth grade sleepovers?
1: What Moulin Rouge. That should tell you a lot about my friend group. <laughs> what were you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing all the things around a very platonic friendship between Ewan McGregor and uh, Nicole Kidman because uh-huh. there was obviously no sex. They, no. I think, sped through that part.
0: Sure, 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 sure. Yeah all right guys so that is a wrap for our cult episode for august we're in august Whoa. how is it
1: august <laughs> i
0: don't know oh i'm ready for the fall so again thank you guys so much for joining us for our once monthly cult episode where i cover an actual cult and Ann covers a cult classic piece of media we will catch you this Thursday for our regular episode where we'll discuss psychology and history like you're used to. Yep. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you support us, blink twice.
1: And if you're out there, keep
0: listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanod at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver.
1: Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.